This is the Family Passport Podcast, Episode 4. Wait, you want your kids to enjoy Paris too? And it says as well, something round. Why was the Louvre one of your favorites? Because it had these big pyramids. Ah, you really like pyramids? That were just eye-catching. Let's get your adventure started. It's the Family Passport Podcast. Join the Barlow family as they travel to Portugal and Paris in this season of FPP. Let us show you how to get your travel on with kids. When you're there in Paris, there's so much to see and do, and it's kind of a lot to take in. And honestly, it can be a lot on the kids, too. And if you're not careful, they can get really, really bored. So we had to find ways to make sure that they were getting the most out of the experience, too. If you turn it around the back, you'll see. For example, you're going to visit today. Here, you can just go. You can play a board game, and it's going to show you other places in Paris. I'm Scott. And I'm Alyssa. And hey, we're back on the Family Passport Podcast because we wanted to take this week and talk a little bit about how we got the very most out of it. Not just for us, because we were really excited about this trip, but we also wanted our kids to get quite a bit out of this too. High expectations, right? Maybe too much to ask? I don't know. What do you think, Alyssa? No, I don't think too much to ask, but we also wanted the kids to remember it. So our kids are at an age where we hope they will remember stuff, but we wanted to do some things that were more meaningful so we could ensure that they remember parts of the trip. Yeah. We didn't want this to be like 10 years from now. And we're like, remember that trip to Paris? And like, no, (laughs) not really. (laughs) Okay. Awesome. (laughs) Sweet. We, we wanted to go the opposite way. We wanted it to be something where, uh, when we're, when we're at the dinner table and something gets brought up, then our kids are like, Oh, mom, dad, you remember that time where we were at the Louvre? Or you remember the time where we were at the Eiffel tower and it was sparkling or you remember you know, taking walks in the park and I don't know, whatever it might be. We wanted that type of, of experience and wanted to, I, we wanted, well, I don't know. I, we talked a lot cause we had kind of a year to plan this particular trip. Right. So we wanted them to get all kinds of stuff out of it. Should we talk about that? Yeah, let's. All right. So, we really went into this thinking about it. How do we, not just how do we make this an adventure for ourselves, but how do we make this an adventure for the kids too? Right? Yeah, it was a family adventure. Definitely not just not us Scott going a, to yeah. Paris. Yes, we've done Scott and Alyssa adventures. Those are fun too. They are. But this this was different. This is actually the first time, other than some road trips. With the, with the business, like we've gone, you know, taking them to Portland and maybe one or two other places. But yeah, this is the first real time where we get went any place of length and take the kids with. Yeah. Longer than a weekend. Yeah. Longer than a weekend. Yeah. Crazy. I didn't think about that till just now. So it was, it was kind of a big deal for us in that way. So we really wanted to set some expectations with the kids from, from the get go as to how this might be different. And, and really help them understand some of the 
uh, I don't know, importance of the occasion and what they're going to, what they're going to expect over there, how it's going to be different. And I know that you and I spent a lot of time talking about, well, how do we make this you know, lasting for the kids? How's it going to be longer than we just get back? And they're like, oh, okay. I'm so glad to be back. Awesome. Friends, whatever. Right. We also knew that, um, a lot of our sightseeing adventures in Paris would be museums and, uh, we were to a that little point, worried our about kids that. have never been to a museum other than, I guess, maybe one time they've been to a science museum, which science museums are pretty hands-on. So, yeah. a little different museum experience in like, Paris. How are, first of all, we were wondering how they were going to do with all the paintings and sculptures and everything right. like that. Second of all, like how are we going to keep them off of the paintings and yeah. sculptures? <laughs> and Yeah, so it, we, yeah, we were concerned. We had concerns. So, we... Uh, We'll talk uh, talk through a couple of different pieces. We'll talk through how how some of the ideas that uh, I I didn't have anything to do with, but Alyssa came up with for how to have them retain the experience. We'll talk about how to make sightseeing much more effective overall. Because when you're on all those tours, when you're in those museums, when you're in some of the other places, or even if you're just out and about in Paris, you know how do you how do you make it easier on yourselves? And if you've got crazy active kids like us how do they how do you not have to buy the statue after they're climbing on top of it or whatever else avoiding all that and even some pieces we'll delve into some pieces like we had to take them out of school for a long period of time right so that was a big deal too how did how do you handle that and then you know when you have those really active kids how do you maintain active time for the whole family so let's let's dig into all those areas where do you want to start um, I guess we could start with some of the pre stuff before we left home or the planning portion before we left home um, with school and part of retaining the experience. Uh, so one thing that we knew we wanted to do the whole time was have them keep some sort of a journal while we were over there um, so that they could retain it later um, and even go back and look at those journals when they're older and see what they saw through their eyes as a nine, seven and six year old um, versus what they will see later as adults. This was, this was really interesting for me. Um, You came up with the idea, but as soon as you came up with the idea, I don't know how many people I was talking to that became interested in this because we'd been planning it for a while. So naturally we were talking to people about this trip we were going to take. And I don't know how many times I heard, you know what? Actually I traveled with my parents as a, as a kid and I kept a journal and I still have it to this day. And I, you know, every once in a while pull it out and read through it. And I heard that multiple times from different people where it really helped them internalize the experience. And 20 or 30 years later, this was a big deal for them and something that they recommended doing. It's like, Oh, actually my wife has already thought about that. So that's awesome. Thank you for saying that. Now we're (laughs) definitely going to do that. Uh, so I I thought that was really, really cool and and encouraging that so many people had had great experiences with that along the way too, because this was obviously the first time that we were having them keep this type of journal. Right. Right. So, I think some other reasons too that I was really interested in having them keep a journal was we were not sure how we were going to maintain routines over there. Right. Like we, we spent a lot of time talking about that. I was a little bit worried about that because I'm like a, I'm like a small child. And if you get me off my routine, then I can barely handle anything at all. So (laughs) large concern. Right. Um, but then for, for them, 
um, I thought, I thought it was really, really cool because you had, you had them every single day writing in their journal. And first of all, let's give you a little bit of background story to Alyssa's, Alyssa's background here, because, uh, what was your first profession out of school? Uh, I, w- I am a recovering teacher, a recovering <laughs> teacher. Ooh, you slipped in the recovering. I know. <laughs> Why the recovery? Uh, it's still in there somewhere, but, um, just not now. <laughs> I teach in different ways now. Now you get to teach in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. So fitness instruction, jazzercise, journal teaching. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We do a lot of things around our house that um, if you saw them, you might think, oh, I bet a teacher did that. (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. You can, you can tell a teacher lives here with us and a teacher took a, took a vacation with us or took a trip with us too. You can, you can tell. So yeah, you, you taught for eight years and you can't entirely leave that behind. And I think that works out really, really well here for, especially in this type of case. So from a teacher's point of view, why was, why were you interested in having them take a, take a journal or having those types of routines in the first place? Uh, well, we knew we definitely needed to maintain some sort of school routine while they were gone. Although they're um, teachers, which we'll talk more about this, were very accepting and willing to let them go on this adventure and understood that they would be getting a lot of real life and real world experiences that you can't learn in a classroom. Um, we still wanted to keep them up on school type work. And, um, you know, I know as a teacher that skills are lost when you don't do them, especially at the ages our children are at kindergarten, second grade and third grade. So, um, journaling writing is a great way not only to document what's happening to retain it but it also continues your um skills in reading and writing and oftentimes a lot of other things yeah so here small story here we had fully anticipated taking our kids out of school entirely for this trip like you know, we're, we're planning up to it and we were, we're kind of worried uh, about that at first too. It's like, okay, well, what are the, what if they say no? Like, yeah. and honestly, at first I wasn't worried about that except for people kept asking yeah. over and over. It's like, should we be worried about this? Or like, you're really going to take your kids out of school? <laughs> really? You're going to do that? Is that even possible? Can you just do that? <laughs> people were really worried about it. So it's like, should, should we be worried about this too? So we went in and we talked to their teachers, right? And every single one of them had the exact same response. What did they say? Uh, they all said, we, I mean, we're happy to let them go. This is a once in a lifetime real world, world experience. And you can teach them more over there than they will ever get in their classrooms. Oh yeah. It wasn't just a, it wasn't just a, yeah, I guess you can go do that. It was a, yeah, please take them. They're going to get a ton out of this. And yeah, there, I think we had multiple conversations along the way, beginning of the year, you know, right before we left, et cetera, where we asked, Hey, should we take some work with them? Should we do anything else? Like, no, no. And so we settled on keeping, keeping a journal and you were doing, doing some math and reading and other things with them too. And one of the nice things about, well, I don't know. We own a lot of computers because we run an internet based business, right? So we had, we had multiple computers over there and they could do a lot of their math and reading right on the, right on the computer. There's so many cool apps and I don't even know what to call them. You're the teacher. I don't know. What is all that stuff? It was awesome. Yeah. So if you're doing something like this, I mean, for sure, 
uh, check with your teachers and they can give you, um, you know, our children's uh, reading and math programs. Actually, they could access online. Um, so all we needed was the computer and internet and we could get them into the things that their classmates were doing in the classroom at the same time. Uh, so they actually didn't have to miss any of those pieces. But even if whatever um, curriculums your school uses, if they don't have access to those, there are so many educational websites. Um, our kids happen to have um iPods, uh, intentionally, sort of. <laughs> intentionally, sort of. Whoa, 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 whoa. Back up. Explain. <laughs> there is a story behind the iPods. How did the iPods come to be? Uh, the iPods came to be, we knew we needed something to keep them entertained and contained, I guess. Off on the statues. Translate. Long, long flights and... Uh, waiting places. And um, we also know that there are a lot of educational apps out there for math and reading and spelling. And I mean, you name it, you can pretty much find a fairly decent educational app for it. So um, we knew that that could also be used as part of their schooling while we were over there. Uh, disguised as, ooh, this really fun app on your iPod that (laughs) I want you to work on. (laughs) Yeah. Plus at the same time, uh, they were able to take that and it was a camera as well. So they were able to take that and use it for photos, uh, which I thought was really, really fun. That way they could, they could have that as, as something forever too. They can be able to take, see the photos that they've taken and that way they could participate in a different way too. And they, they seemed to think that was really fun. Although it was a little crazy when, you know, they all three had their iPods out at one site and they're like standing in front of all of these other European tourists <laughs> and like, whoa, 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 let the, our three children like milling around and, and, <laughs> and not letting anybody else in. So it's mm-hmm. like, come on, put your iPods away. Let's go. So, yeah. So I think that was about it for as far as schooling went, um, we decided to kind of keep a routine of doing, uh, for the ages that our children are, I just kind of arbitrarily picked a number, but, um, most children around the ages that ours are six, seven, and nine, um, should be reading between 20 and 30 minutes a day. So then I just put that with math and writing too. So we tried to do about 20 minutes a day of each, um, which also translated into doing journal writing every day after we got done with whatever, event we chose for the day. Um, although it was, it, it, it's interesting to see what your children write when you ask them to write every day. Cause we would go to this really cool place like the Eiffel tower and they would write about the pigeons. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is actually, I thought this was a cool experiment in itself to some degree because, and it helped me kind of feel closer to the kids in a lot of ways too, because just like you said, we'd go to this place and you and I would have this conversation afterwards. It's like, Oh my goodness, wasn't that architecture amazing? Did you see all the little areas where they were carving in this particular and this style? And I didn't even know that. And then we would, Every single day, every time we got back from a place and we try not to go too many places at once. So we'd do one major, one major journey a day, I guess you could say, come back, they get into their journals. Okay. What are you going to write about? Well, the pigeons were really cool (laughs) (laughs) or, uh, what was the other, other place? Oh yeah. Yeah. One of the parks had a, uh, had a, 
uh, line. What's the type of line? Why can't I think oh, of it? Oh, a zip where, line. Yeah, a zip line. Like, you know, one of those lines where you hold on and you <laughs> propel yourself forward. And so one of the parks had a, had a zip line. And my son was just enamored with that. So we wrote about the zip line and about how he was going to build a zip line when we got back. It's like and Camden. I think he actually drew a model of his zip he line. He drew a middle, yeah, model of his zip line. In and, the journal. And then we had multiple conversations about the zip line. So. <laughs> Not what I appreciated out of that area, but it was really, really cool because it immediately gave gave us insight into what our kids were thinking and what they were taking away. And that was that was a lot of fun for me. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want more information on journaling for your children, we are in the process of um, making a uh, printable type journal that um, you can look at and get on familypassport.co. Uh, there is not a whole huge amount of information about kids journaling or um, production type. I don't know what the right word is. Already produced journals. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> uh, already produced journals for children for um, traveling type purposes. So uh, we decided that maybe we should make one because I think other people might be interested in that also. If you're interested in that, probably the easiest way is... Uh either go to the website or just uh, just drop an email. You can email Alyssa, A-L-Y-S-S-A, at familypassport.co, and then ask about it, and we'll get you get you the information over there. But yes, uh, we want them for the next time we go and travel, and we couldn't find them, so we are, <laughs> we are going to make sure that they are available. Uh, another interesting way to do a journal we only had one of our kids do it this time. We'll see what we do next time around. But our daughter, uh, as a present, knowing we we're going on on this trip, her birthday happened just a little bit before we went on on this this adventure, this trip, and we bought her her website domain, and she used used the blog as her journal, so she could take some of the pictures that she had from the iPod and then be able to upload them to the website. And then this was really particularly cool because. Then, then her teacher could actually pull up the website in class and they could see what Mackenzie was doing on, I don't know, a particular day or week or whatever it was. So, you know, she's just learning to type. So it's not like these were really extensive journal entries. These were like, I don't know, (laughs) seven sentences with a long one. Right. And, but, but it was still really, really fun for her and for her to be able to learn how to do this at the exact same time. So she's learning new skills as she was able to put this stuff, kind of crystallize it into, into journal form and be able to take pictures and be able to express that and share that with her class. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's an idea for you too. And you'll have to do whatever's going to be age appropriate for your kids, obviously. Right. That goes without saying. So, uh, and, and you know what, by the way, if you want to check that out, you can actually go over to, you can go over it. We'll link up to, uh, to it on our site as well in episode episode four so the show notes for episode four you can just go over there to uh, familypassport.co slash four and that'll get you over there familypassport.co slash four and there'll be a link on there to to the episode or to uh to her journal otherwise you can go to mckenziebarlow.me all right all right, should we talk about some tours? Yeah, definitely. This was uh, this was something that 
<laughs> I don't know. Like this is part of the reason, by the way, we had to do this, had to do this podcast, had to be able to put this stuff together because as we were going about all this, we just absolutely could not find lots of information on how to make this stuff really great for your entire family, really great for kids. And uh, we talked and researched for a long time on tours and what to do and how to do it. And uh, there's just not a lot out there, even on the websites where they offer the tours, like they don't tell you everything. So and there's so many options for tours. There's oh private companies that you can tour through there. The museums have their own tours. There's just a lot of different options. There's combined tours. There's individual <laughs> tours. There's, there's a lot of choices, but not a lot of explanation on what the choices actually get you. Yeah. So we found the explanations insufficient. So we ended up taking a lot of different types of tours while we were over there. Mm-hmm. Um, and some are better than others, especially for kids and especially for different ages of kids. Yeah. So far and away, far and away, what would you say is the, the best tour that we had and why was it the best? Oh, by far our tour at the Louvre. Um, and I think it was called Muse. Yeah, the Muse Muse Tour. So this was a private party tour company. They were not directly affiliated with the Louvre, but all of their guides were very, very familiar with the Louvre and obviously had been there many, 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 many times. And uh, several of our guide in particular knew stuff inside and out. Yeah. And um, I don't even remember how we happened upon the company. I think we were searching for family tours of the Louvre. Or, so I, Scott and I had a discussion one night that um, we really wanted to see the Louvre and we knew it would probably be the most difficult for the kids because our kids have not been to a museum like that before. And we didn't want to miss out on the experience. And we definitely didn't want them to come home saying, yeah, I went to this really big museum and... That was it. (laughs) So we knew that was the one museum that we really, we wanted something that would be meaningful. And I don't remember how you even happened upon this tour company. Many hours of Googling in a variety of different ways eventually returned this company that happened to have not just tours and not just tours of the Louvre and not just tours of the Louvre for kids, but get this, a scavenger hunt style uh, almost uh, put the puzzle together type tour where you go through the Louvre and your kids go through the Louvre and they are not just experiencing it, but they're excited and they're having fun and they get to actually participate rather than just observe. Yeah. Um, and this particular company actually had a couple different options for that. We chose one um, that was a detective clues, which basically was an overview of all the, really big pieces at the Louvre. Um, But there was also ones that were specific to different sections of the Louvre. I think one was called like a Nile tour, like going down the river of the Nile, similar format detective type thing, but it was uh, centered in that one specific area of the Louvre. There was also one that was um, specifically centered in the, um, I don't recall the Greek other one. mythology, oh, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. Yeah. section of the Louvre. That's not the one we decided to go with. We, we yeah, went with so we went with the, the overview Muse clues. Yeah, and from the very beginning, as soon as we got there, we knew that it was the right decision. Long before Absolutely. the kids were ever having fun, because as we walked up there, uh, well, first of all, actually, we we met our guide outside. We met our guide outside in the Arc de Carousel, 
uh, which is just outside the Louvre, maybe maybe 350, 400 yards away from the Louvre. And it's this huge arch. And it uh, one way it looks towards the, the Ferris wheel and uh, all the way, you know, it, you can't always see it on a, unless it's on a very clear day, but all the way down to the, to the Arc de Triomphe, several miles away. And in between that, you've got that Ferris wheel, you've got the obelisk, you've got some of the other pretty famous things in there. And then you look the opposite way and the Louvre is right there. So we met our guide there and she's telling us some of the history right away. We end up going, walking into the Louvre. She takes us in a side entrance and walks around uh, probably someplace between 600, 800 people, this massive line. And she's walking really, really fast. So we're all trying to keep up with her. She walks down and kind of whispers to me, this only works some of the time. And then takes us around to this completely different entrance and uh, you know, flashes, uh, says, flashes a badge, says up to the guard, and miraculously we're in it ahead of uh, not just the regular entrance, mm-hmm. but all the other guided all tour the other people. guided tour entrance on top of it. Because we the just queue is that. smaller for people on guided tours than it is for just people entering the Louvre. Um, and just so you know, in Paris, uh, every major museum or attraction we went to, there are sometimes multiple stages of security yeah. to go through yeah. um, at this point in time. So uh, we still had to go through the security, but uh, we basically bypassed all the waiting cues um, because she asked, really. <laughs> Since about 2015, after some of the terrorist attacks that were over in in France, a lot of the museums have shifted to where they have that type of security in place outside and they check everybody before coming in. So even if you have a museum pass, even if you have some of the other types of passes, it doesn't necessarily guarantee that you're not going to have to wait in line. So this was one way to actually bypass all that. And for that reason alone, I believe it was worth the extra price, let alone that once we actually got into the museum and started uh, started the tour itself, what did she start with? Um... We were in the in the garden. We were under the, the pyramids garden. first, and yep. then she um, showed the kids a sign that basically showed us which direction we were going to go. Um, and then we started, yeah, in the sculpture garden area first, which was we walked in there and it was completely empty. I mean, you were in the main part of the entrance of the Louvre um, under the pyramids, and then there's just tons of there's people everywhere. And then we walk into the sculpture garden, and I think there was one person in there. <laughs> Yeah, and I was flabbergasted because we yeah. we walked by all those people. It's like we must have walked by you know, eight hundred to a thousand people yeah. someplace in there. It's like where did all these people go? Are they still <laughs> yeah. waiting in line? Did they not let them in? Right. So we asked her, and one of the things that uh, that we learned uh, shortly before, shortly as we started the tour, is that. Uh, most people start from the opposite end. So she took us in the way where we could have a completely different experience. So those are all the little things that you just don't know. And one of the reasons why it made taking a tour like that particularly useful, but it got better too, because as, as we got into that sculpture garden, she pulls out these packets and these packets are what have all the clues for, for the kids for the entire journey. Gives one to each of the kids and then sits them all down and shows them the first clue. And she spreads out these these portraits on the on the ground and then has them find things about the portraits. And she says, remember these portraits. We're going to see these at the end. And they were, they were not so much portraits as they were paintings. And particularly they were paintings by a guy named Archambault. 
and he had painted himself in different seasons of life but incorporated different types of fruit and gourds and all kinds of stuff into the seasons. Anyhow, it doesn't matter as much of the paintings itself, although those were particularly cool as it did that the kids were already enamored with this because they were now getting to participate as opposed to just observe. And our kids don't like to just observe. Maybe they're (laughs) like your kids. Maybe not. I don't know. So what did you, what did you think overall of that tour what was your what was your favorite piece of that particular tour and why would i mean clearly you and i have had the conversation that you'd recommend this to anybody who's going to the louvre with kids but uh what were your favorite pieces of that tour overall Uh, i think my favorite piece overall was that while our tour was geared towards the kids and their detective work, uh, which kept them entertained and it kept them moving from one piece to another. And our guy did move fairly quickly through a lot of stuff. But I think what I liked about it is that while we were moving quickly through stuff and they had specific things they were looking for, it still took the time as we walked past the really famous things that you think of where there's a hundred people standing around them. She either maneuvered us so that we could see them better. Or as we walked by, she would say, you can see there's a lot of people standing here looking at the Sphinx. This is why the Sphinx is important. Or this is why all these people are looking at it. Okay. Now let's move on to the next thing. Um, And the other thing she did is that she pointed out some pieces that nobody, much like the sculpture garden, there was no one in there. And she pointed out some pieces in there that a lot of people probably don't even know exist at the Louvre. Um, And then the other one, the oldest piece of art in the Louvre, which I am sure most people walk by and think, why on earth did they put this piece of art in the Louvre? (laughs) That's nice. I can't believe that's there. Yeah, because it does not look like anything. I mean, it, it looks like a piece of clay that a young child may have molded or yeah, something it's like grayson made it and yeah <laughs> no grayson would have made a probably a better looking human right being. but it, it's this humanoid type figure that once you understand the significance of it and where it came from and what it actually is it's rather impressive right uh but, but if there you, was no one there yeah nobody there nobody. at all <laughs> yeah whatsoever so walk by guides us over to this and and she's like, now we're going to see the oldest piece of art in this entire museum. And so we're looking around for something yeah. really impressive. And she's like, here it is. And shows us this. But then she tells us what it was. And apparently that, you know, a long time ago, they used to make these types of f- figures. And it was probably about three feet high and maybe, you know, foot, foot and a half across. And it was roughly, roughly human form. And it, they put them and bury them with with different people in order to send them off to have a good afterlife mm-hmm. right yeah so i think um and it was nine thousand years old by right the way. it was nine thousand years old which was Just cool a, a ways so there was some little tidbits like that that were really the kids i think got information out of but at the same time scott and i learned a lot while our kids were being detectives through the louvre and our guide in particular was very knowledgeable about Pretty much, I mean, we everything we asked, she had an answer for. Let me tell you the story about that. Yeah. Well, hold on. Give me a minute, and then I'll tell you the story that relates to this other piece of art over here right. that you're asking about. So even though it wasn't necessarily involved in the detective piece that the kids were working on, she was still able to give us information and allow us to have our, our own experience, too. So... I thought that that was really interesting and it's a little bit of a pay for what you get. So you can 
uh, one of the things that uh, that we're making available is our budget that we used for this this trip and how much we spent so that you can just see you know real world how much some of this stuff costs that way as you're you're forming your own trips you can start to understand and what what this is going to cost and you can pick and choose and do what you want to do right so for this particular tour it cost us 300 i think it was 322 euro right around something, something like, like that. that so right around 300 euro and i would pay more than that going going back and doing yeah. it again by far the best tour and when when you pay for a tour like that with a tour company like that you're getting somebody who is really really interested and engaged with this type of type of content and material and you know history and everything like that too versus when we took you know when we took some of the other tours doesn't really quite feel the the same way so for mm-hmm. example we took a tour in versailles right mm-hmm. and well it was still informational mm-hmm. it was with a larger group of people much larger and the tour guide was providing a completely different level of experience yeah price of that tour seven euro right right <laughs> so in some cases you're paying for what you get and consequently too you know with the larger group and also with the uh, less engaged tour guide if you will you know our kids were having a different experience too mm-hmm. so you'll have to decide for yourself but another thing that we found that was a surprise is some of the places had um, both audio and visual tours where they gave you an electronic device in some cases it was you know much akin to a large iPod and in other cases is like this full blown little mini computer that uh, showed you pictures of the room and all kinds of other interactive stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, particularly the ones that were really interactive, our kids actually loved as yeah. long as it didn't go for too long. Right. Yeah. And some, uh, museums also had downloadable apps, which had interactive tours on them. So you can also download a lot of just audio tours, but some museums also had interactive tours where you could listen, you could look, and it would tell you exactly where to go in the museum. So small mistake that I made day one, like our first, uh, first museum, uh, we downloaded the app for Musée d'Orsay, mm-hmm. which is a pretty famous museum. It's just gorgeous. It's built into an old train station and the architecture is amazing. A lot of really cool pieces, uh, Picasso mm-hmm. and a uh, number of other really famous artists that, uh, that you'd recognize have, have works there, but we downloaded the app and we only put it on our iPad and we took the iPad in and somehow it didn't dawn on me at the time that what would have been probably better is if we just loaded it up on their iPods mm-hmm. and then they had, you know, they had a little earphone so they could listen to it individually because then they can, you know, a lot of these have little numbers where you type in 39, exhibit 39, and then it tells you the story behind exhibit 39. And that was fun for our kids that allowed them to participate. But when I was there with the app and I'm the one pressing the buttons and a lot of these places you're supposed to be semi-quiet which was already hard for the kids right uh and we didn't have the earphones and i'm trying to allow them to listen to the app that was a small disaster so yeah yeah don't do that but yeah um but there are a lot of apps available so check first for each place that you want to want to go to and you know we share we share in some of our guides and blog posts which ones have different pieces like that too Mm -hmm. so how about um, what were some of the things that you would advise people against in a tour, especially if you have kids? Like, what would you say, look for or steer clear of this or fair warning? Hmm. 
Ooh, this is a stumper. Yeah, this is a stumper. Um, I would say a, one of the things, unless unless you speak multiple languages, um, yeah. it was not always very clear about which tours were in English and which True. were in French. And turns yeah. out our kids don't speak French. We were trying yeah. to we were trying to learn months beforehand so that uh, the kids would be able to have fun, a little bit of fun learning French. And we were trying to learn for ourselves at least some of the basics. But it is not always very clear, even if you're on the English website. Yeah. And <laughs> turns out a lot of museum websites and you know public interest websites like that just don't have the best information in the world so it makes it really difficult to devise what is what and a lot of museums didn't offer tours in english or only offered tours in english once a day yeah. or some of them even once like the crips their only tour in english was once a month so um just be aware of that in advance there is the, a lot of them don't offer things in English. And we're guessing that if you're listening to this right now, you speak English. You speak English, yes. Just, uh, maybe you also speak French, which would be cool. You. And then you yes. wouldn't have some of those issues. But Yes, yes. However, yeah. if uh, if you're like us, where you're just learning French, or just learning Portuguese, or just learning really any other language for us, right. then, yeah, uh, watch out for that. How about, um, how about active time for the whole family? You know, what what would you say is important here um i think if you are staying in one location for long periods of time uh you need to especially if you have active children like we do uh you need to be able to identify and we talked about this a little bit in the pre stuff with picking out your location um but we specifically tried to identify a location that had a park or outdoor space nearby um, because we knew that we would need to get the kids out. We know our kids cannot, especially one of them, cannot be inside and not active for long periods of Who time. So. He can't stop moving. Yeah. Ever. <laughs> Even when he ever. is inside. But when you try and contain him, it, things don't always He's sleeping so well. while we're recording this and he's probably still moving. Right. I'm sure of it. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we knew that the parks were a must. And first of all, I mean, I think we mentioned it in episode uh, episode two, but you know, Paris, Paris is really a walking city and that's, mm-hmm. it makes it a lot of fun. It's rather amazing. And it's rather, uh, rather a gorgeous way to experience the city when you're walking through it versus driving through it. So very, very cool. And you get to do a lot of walking, but aside from that, you know, it was important to us to make sure that we were surrounded by parks. The cool thing is there's a lot of parks in Paris. And we did not know that. We had no idea. Lots of um, small parks. We knew there too. were some big parks. You know, there's some famous big parks. Yeah. Luxembourg, the Tuileries. The Tuileries, right. Which are really cool and definitely must-see type parks. But there are also very small playground-ish type parks uh, all over the place. And and they're not like the parks that are, are no. here. First of all, every single one of them has history, and they're all all the history is posted. It's like this yeah. is where seven hundred uh, children were French. taken to Jewish encampment, and <laughs> you know, in seventeen forty six, I don't know whatever it happens to be, right? Not really seven forty forty six, but uh, all of them have just a ton of history in the first place. And aside from that, they're a little bit different than many of the American parks, particularly. Um, and some other countries too, just because they're structured a little bit differently. Uh, our kids love them in particular because everything 
was climbable. There were lots of ropes, lots of obstacle courses, and just a little bit different in general. Yeah. Also, if you have not been to Paris, uh, there's not a lot of grass in Paris. That was um, a new experience for me, I guess. I, I did not. I associate parks with grass and playgrounds. Uh, they Big do not, open grassy yeah, spaces. Yeah. They do not have much grass there and in the winter time you cannot step on the grass that the they grass do have their grass is sleeping we'll have so. you know it is sleeping so yes <laughs> don't step on it do in the not winter. step on the grass um it's for looks yeah only Very for much. looks there are lots of trees lots of beautiful trees i can only imagine what it looks like when the trees are actually blooming since there was nothing on them at this point in time um but lots of beautiful trees within the parks but not much grass yeah, so a little bit different, just to just to know what to expect. But um, would definitely definitely recommend visiting not just the big parks, but going out and finding the little parks too. Particularly because if you want to if you want to actually get involved in Parisian life, then this is a different way to be able to experience it too. Because when you're at the Eiffel Tower, you're there with a ton of tourists. You're there with some Parisians too. But when you're at the parks. It's a completely different situation, particularly the the little parks. And you're there right alongside Parisians who are there with their kids. And, and even in some cases, we realize that a lot of, because there are a lot of schools over there, their school system is quite different than our school system. A lot of their schools do not have playgrounds. So they take the kids to the park to play yes. instead of a playground at the school. Um, so we actually interacted with we learned about halfway through our trip there was a montessori school right across the street from the park that we were playing at every day every day we saw all these kids at the park and we're like man all those kids are school age kids why are they at the park in the middle of the week and come to find out it was because it was their lunch break every day while we were there so we started going during that time so yeah that so kids that our kids could, could have some interaction yeah. with them yeah very very cool so something else to be able to consider, and it became a game for us, particularly for our kids, uh, to see how many parks we could go to, how many different types we could visit, and they named all the parks, every single one of them. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I our could, kids like to name parks based on uh, items to play with, I guess. Yes. The park is typically how they're named. The Spinny Park, the Eiffel Tower Park, yes, the Twirly Park, the, I don't know, I can't remember the I other I don't names. remember either. I like right across the street. The park that was really close by to us? Yeah. What did you call that park? The Eiffel Tower Park. The Eiffel Tower Park? Why was it called the Eiffel Tower Park? Because it had an Eiffel Tower. What did you do on that Eiffel Tower? I climbed it. It was a pretty cool park. What else did we do at that park? Uh, we did an obstacle course. <laughs> we did do an obstacle course, yeah. There was this one by a place that had a big giant plate thing that spun around with us on it. And also it had um, hammocks and other bouncy things. They had lots of new toys that I've never gotten 
to news. They had lots of more things that bounce and spin around in circles. They were different because it was they had less toys and more park area and the toys were like a jungle gym. Hmm. What do you mean by a jungle gym? Like you could climb all over all of them? Yeah. Yeah. But like here, some of them you can only go down or up some of them. You could go everywhere on the ones in France, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. They were very climbable, huh? Yeah. Okay. So if you're if you're going and if you're going and taking the kids then these are some of the things that uh, that you want to consider. If you want to be able to get all of all of these pieces, then I would head on over to familypassport.co, familypassport.co forward slash four. And then you'll be able to get all the all the things that we're talking about, all the links from this episode, everything that we've mentioned here, and at the same time be able to sign up for uh, for our adventures, keep pace with us, and be able to get tips and tricks. So do that. Plus, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast. All right. Until next time. See you then. Adios. Thanks so much for listening to the Family Passport Podcast. Head on over to familypassport.co, that's familypassport.co, to learn how to travel with your kids, get travel tips, and even the tools that we've used to take amazing family trips. We'll see you next time on FPP. What else did you like about the parks? Which one was your favorite park? What was the garden park we went to? The Moorish Garden? The Tuileries? No, the other Luxembourg one. Gardens? Yeah. I liked that park. Why'd you like that one so much? Because it had a zip line. It did have a zip line. That I was like- pretty cool, huh? What did you like about the zip line? Well, for one thing, there was no harness. That was kind of awesome, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was your second favorite park? What was the one that we went to? The one by our apartment that was 10 minutes away from the hippopotamus. Oh, yeah. You guys called it the park with the spinny thing. Yeah. <laughs> it was... Uh, <laughs> what? Why did you like that park so much? What did it have? Well, for one, their swing was different. In some places, it was chained to the ground. In this one, it wasn't. But these weren't like the thin 
skinny swings. They were like long and fat black swings mm. with ropes hanging from the structure, the play structure. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. You, you were there too, Dad. I know. <laughs> you were there the whole trip. Yeah. Did you have a second favorite? Yeah. The one that was closed at, at six. No, mm. five. Ah, uh, yeah. The small park. Yeah. We missed that one the first time, huh? Yeah. I loved yeah. it. You loved it. What was different about the parks in Paris compared to the parks here? They didn't have that much swings. They didn't have very many swings. They didn't. 